This is Tech Hive's Clockwise Podcast, Episode 3 for the week of July 22nd, 2013. Clockwise, four guests, four topics, 30 minutes. Welcome to Clockwise, the podcast that will explode into pure energy if it ever comes into contact with the Anti-Clockwise podcast. I am your co-host, Jason Snell, and sitting across from me at the Clockwise podcast table is Leah Yamshan. From, she, you are an assistant editor? I'm an assistant at editor. At Tech Hive. Yep. And, and a veteran of PC World and Macworld, too, so you really have covered all the bases. Well, thank you thank for being you. here. Thank you for having me. It's nice to have you on, on episode three. Yeah, I'm excited. Dan, Dan Morin is across from me, and there are many Dans who work at this company. And complicating matters further, I believe there's yet another Dan at the table. Dan Morin, who is your guest? Let, let, me, let me say first that I, I'm, I'm surprised, as I know we all are, that this podcast has made it to three episodes. But I'm feeling good. I think today's a good day. And as you mentioned, we are joined by a second Dan today, uh, senior editor Dan Frakes. Hi, Dan. Hello, everyone. And I should say that I'm going to this podcast blind. The first two episodes are in my podcast queue, and I'm ashamed to say I haven't had a chance to listen yet because I'm being overworked. Just make sure when asked to take the physical challenge. <laughs> it's only half an hour, Dan. It won't take you very long to listen. That's the beauty right. of clockwise. But you, you actually, can almost, if you listen start. to them in double speed, you can finish two by the time we're done with this one. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> All right. So every single one of us has brought a topic that we think is worth discussing today. That's how this podcast works. And because we don't want to waste anybody's time, we spend just five minutes on each and every topic. Yeah, it starts with me, and then the action moves clockwise if you were here and we were all sitting around a table, which we're not, but that's the name of the podcast. And so please stick with us. It's not that complicated a premise. I'll go first. And here's my topic. I just got back from San Diego where I participated uh, – well, okay, I didn't wear a costume, but I, I covered Comic-Con, which is an interesting place uh, full of people in costumes and there's movie promotions and TV promotions and stars and writers and artists. And uh, it's a whole thing. And there's some articles that I, I've been writing about it up on techhive.com. Uh, so I wanted to use that as a jumping off point to ask about digital media. I have gone uh, back into comic books and I'm reading them more often now, mostly because they're now available digitally and I can read them on my iPad. So my question for all of you is, um, are you loving digital media of certain kinds or are there certain kinds of media where you are a physical media holdout? And we'll start with Leah. So – uh, nobody judge me too harshly here, but I actually love digital magazines, and because we work in we love digital was, magazines here. One of our magazines is now only available Which digitally. I'm, I'm actually really excited to see what happens um, with PC World as we transform into a digital only space with it. Um, I just think there's so much potential for some really interesting um, things with digital magazines. Um, it just has the great potential to add other elements to otherwise content that's typically, you know, really flat. Um, I think Marco Arment's The Magazine is a solid example of a great way to read content on an iPad. Um, it's got so many interesting elements that you can click on to learn more about something else. You just tap on a word that'll lead you to a different part of the magazine. Um, Vanity Fair has never looked better. It, huh. Then it does on a tablet, in my opinion. I just really like um, the different movie elements and videos. Um, 
that it, it brings. I just think magazines really shine digitally. But I am a stickler for paper books. I still like paper books. I, I, I go back and forth. Uh, there's a variety of things which I'll watch your, or consume on in either form. Books, I, I go back and forth between paper books. If it's a book I really want to own, you know, like part of my library, put it on my shelf. Now, I, I mean, I I grew up uh, with two parents who are librarians, so I, I'm very attached to, to paper books. That said, I, I've been reading more and more ebooks just because of the convenience of the instant gratification. Oh, I'm done with that book. I need something else to read. I don't have to wait to go to the library or go to a bookstore or order something from Amazon. I can just buy another book right now, especially if I'm reading like a series or something. Comics, and I know you're you're touching upon this a little bit there. I, th- I think comics are a little trickier for me. I do like reading some of them on the iPad. In some ways, it's dangerous because it's too easy to buy them, and they I, get, I read them so fast, and I tend not to reread them as much. But the bigger problem for me, and I think we've touched upon this before, is is the lack of ability to lend things. Um, so, I mean, I, I borrow a lot of comics from a friend of mine who, who buys many more comics than I do, and that way I read them, and then I can return them, and he lends comics to a number of our friends, and, and that's problematic because you can't really do that with digital comics still, um, and you have the same problem with ebooks to a large extent is that there is not a lot of support there for lending books because of the digital rights management issues, and we've seen a little cracks in that, you know, both from on the ebook side and on the digital comic side. I think Image Comics is, is moving over to DRM-free comic books, and and Tor Books and Macmillan, I think, are moving towards sort of DRM-free books. But it's a slow road, and as we've seen in certain entrenched media like like digital video, uh, it can take a really long time. So I, I like the convenience, but I think the DRM stuff is is a big impediment. And for some things, like like Leah, I think paper books still like there's something there's a nostalgia factor there. It's also really a great piece of technology. The book, right? It's durable. It's cheap. It's portable. <laughs> all this stuff. So that's I, I'm kind of mixed. Dan, what about you, Dan Frakes? I, I am all for digital media. I if my number one wish right now for digital media across all the the different types, you know, audio, video, books, et cetera, is for something like iTunes Match for my books because we've got bookshelves and bookshelves full of books here. And I would, you know, I'd pay, I wouldn't pay all for for them all over again, of course, but I would pay a good amount of money if I could convert all of them to like Kindle and iBooks books so that I would have cleaner bookshelves and all my stuff on my iPad. Um, I love it. Uh, I think the, uh, the only, the only complaints I really have one are um, with a lot of these new digital magazines, the amount of space they take on my iPad is huge. If um, I've actually had to, you know, we have the Macworld app just to use one of our examples. And I've actually had to delete a bunch of old, old issues and just keep them in the cloud because my iPad was getting full because of all the different, you know, magazines are, they've got these huge images and they're beautiful and they're gorgeous, but they take up huge amounts of space. Um, and so that's really the, I mean, I guess if I'm going to have complaints, that's a little one, but that's where trust I'm in the cloud, complaints. Dan, trust right. in the cloud. It'll be then, there when you need it. Well, uh, yeah, true, true. So the, the only other minor, minor issue I have is that there are times when I still miss the flipping back and forth in pages of a book. And this really hit home over the last few weeks because my daughter and I have been reading Encyclopedia Brown. Do you guys remember those? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah on, sure. the kin- on Kindle. And, you know, you get to the end and it says, how did Encyclopedia know that Jim didn't actually sign that bat? And so you've got to go to the end and, you know, read the little description. And on the Kindle, you can't really do that. You've got to go to end, flip back, 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 back to that set. Oh. Say, oh, there's the answer. Okay, go to table of contents. Go to next door. It's just a pain, right? Yeah. So I do miss paper there. 
That's hilarious too, because that's something that should be easier in a digital right, medium. Right, right? Yeah. Good hyperlinking would make <laughs> that not a, a problem. Right, right, that's right. that's bad hyperlinking in your book. Exactly. All right, we'll give you a dispensation for Encyclopedia Brown. Those are great answers. Um, I uh, you know I I sort of miss having having paper books, and yet the convenience of of digital is just. It's just too much, and the comics thing. I wouldn't be. I don't have a comic store near me that I like, and uh, it, you know, digital's the difference between me reading them or not. So, um, anyway, those are all really good perspectives, and we're right in the middle of this huge digital transition for all these media. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And that is my that's my topic. Uh, so I think it's Leah's turn now. All right. Well, last week was an interesting week for maps. There was a couple of interesting maps acquisitions and um, changes. So uh, Apple had purchased Hopstop and Locationary last week, which hopefully that means it's two clear signs that they're working on finally fixing up Apple Maps, which they've kind of been strangely quiet about, as Dan Morin pointed out um, last week. And also we saw a new public beta of Google Maps' latest version on the desktop. It's got cool vector-based maps. Um, You can highlight landmarks and important street names when you're looking up um, directions. And it also allows for more personalized maps. You can actually put in home and save home on your Google account and save work on your Google Mm -hmm. account and save friends' addresses and things like that. makes it really helpful. Um, I like its new Explore feature as well on the mobile version of, of Google Maps. So these new additions to the maps universe just shows that we're kind of there's still a lot left to do with mapping technology so i don't want to know what features you all would like to see next in maps well i i kind of wish they would go to something that's that's even more of a quantum leap in some ways just in terms of i feel like it's great we've all gotten really comfortable using maps on our smartphones and other devices and they provide a lot of handy stuff you know it's i have a friend who cannot find his way out of of a paper bag without a gps and i was so glad (laughs) when he got a phone because he literally would used to he would come visit me and and admittedly Boston's hard to navigate but he would leave my house and he would stay on the phone with me like as I directed him back to the highway which is like a 10 minute drive so I'd be on the all right take that right yeah go straight through that light okay bare left don't take a sharp left just bare left and it's like now that he's got a smartphone that has GPS built in my life is much easier. Um, but I, the one thing I still have a problem with when it comes to a lot of these mapping uh, solutions is that I look at a map, you know, I'll, I'll be testing some map program and I'll put in, all right, I want to get to two, like from my house to say my parents' house. And I know how to do this. I drive this all the time. And I, I find that the routes that they provide me are bad. <laughs> and and I think it's just, they're, they work, they're fine, but it's none of those routes is how I would go. So I want maps that are a little smarter about learning from how not only I drive, but the way other people might drive similar routes and to sort of put some AI behind that and figure out even better ways, you know, to take into account certain things. Like I don't go certain ways because there are lights that are long, right? And there's no way right now for a map to figure that out. But I think that that's sort of where we should be heading is, is maps that are intelligent enough that they can figure out smarter ways and, and and to adjust on the fly and say, you know, some of them do provide you with traffic estimates, but say, all right, today, this, this is really backed up right now. You should not go this way. Um, and, and there have been attempts to do these kind of things, but I'd like to see a, a more widespread, better attempt. And, and most of all, transparency, like uh, trying to just, you know, it shouldn't have to be something I manually try to do every time, right? It should have a better idea of where I'm going to go based on, hey, you often go to, you know, you're making a commute today. Here's here's your commute automatically without you having to think about it. So I, I like to see maps just get smarter 
in general. And I, and I think that it's coming, but it, it's still kind of slow. Yeah, along those lines, there, there's a couple things. One, and this is my number one feature for GPS, and I've had this for years and no one's done it yet, is, a, is geofencing. So I know how to get to the 280 from where I live. I know, I know how to get to every freeway within five or 10 miles of me or any street within five miles, say. Um, and yet when I, when I go somewhere from home, I put in the address, I go set on my trip. The first like 10 minutes of my trip is the, uh, the voice prompts on the GPS telling me things I already know. So I want a 10 mile radius that it doesn't say a word. It just says, get to this point and then go from there. And then I'll tell you from there. So uh, that's just a minor annoyance. The other one is in terms of what you're saying about being smarter. So say I'm going to San Francisco next weekend. I can punch in the, my destination and then I can choose. I can say, well, I'd like to take public transportation or I can say I'm going to drive in a car. Um, but what if, you know, what if the GPS did all that for me? What if it said, based on that time of day or based on today's traffic or whatever, um, taking public transportation is going to be faster. So why don't you do this? Or it could say, you know, public transportation is slow today. There's not much traffic. You should drive the car. And uh, those kind of things, I think, are the next level where it's actually going to be able to help you plan your trip better and make more of the, the, the decisions that help you make it a faster or a better trip rather than you having to kind of opt into one or the other. You know, I think uh, some of the stuff you guys have both mentioned, Google is trying to do some of that with Google Now where it's trying yeah. to guess what mm -hmm. time of day it is. You're at work. It's the afternoon. You probably want to know how long it is until you go home. There does need to be more intelligence there. Um, I just drove back from Comic-Con, right? So I drove up I-5 from, from Southern California. And it always reminds me when I take these long trips that some GPS apps do some of this, but not the main ones from Apple and Google. Um, I'd like intelligent points of interest on the route. I'd like to, for, it to, for me to be able to say what restaurants are coming up on I-5 on my route so I can get off the freeway. Not, I don't want to do a search for restaurants around where I am right now. I wanted to know that I'm driving up this road for 100 miles and here are your options. And there are some side apps that will do that, but then I'm switching to other apps and what, you know, is their data as good as the, as the other data? So I want that, uh, the ability to program in multiple stops, which third-party GPS apps can do. And then my last point, since we're out of uh, time for this topic anyway, is that I just, I have to say I'm disappointed um, when Leah said that it was a big week for maps. I was hoping there'd be like a new island somewhere <laughs> that they were adding. Yeah, and they I took guess, away an island. They took away something in Scotland, island, right? Yeah. yeah, a Scottish island That's really disappointing. Well, <laughs> Okay, that's sort of a big week for maps. An island has sunk beneath the sea. Okay, I take it all back. Three of you brought up points that I totally agree with. I live here in San Francisco, and sometimes I want to know if it's going to be faster for me to drive, to take public transit, or yeah, to bike. And right now, I need to switch. Well, the latest Google Maps with desktop, it kind of does that, but it doesn't have any information for public transit if there's delays. So for that, I need to pull up Twitter or pull up another app to kind of see what other people are saying. And I also love Waze, so I want to see the the app that Google just bought. Um, so I want to see how Google takes the information from Waze and integrates it with its own data because now if I'm stuck in traffic, I can see, oh, there is traffic, but I want to know why. And Waze does a really good job of telling you that, but I'm still switching between apps. So I just want everything to work harmoniously together. Well, uh, so maybe you guys can help me out here because I, I'm, I'm having an likely. issue this week. It's, it's a, yeah, um, so Tomorrow, tomorrow is my, my mom's birthday, and we've been looking at replacing, as we record this anyways tomorrow, um, we're looking at replacing her iPad. She has an original iPad with uh, AT&T, and she uses it pretty frequently, and she uses the cell service pretty frequently because sometimes she's places without Wi-Fi and she doesn't have a smartphone. 
Down the road, she's also thinking about getting an iPhone, but, you know, I sort of convinced her to wait, thinking there might be some, some good phone announcements this fall. Now, I'm trying to figure out what to do about data plans. And after spending some time, you know, comparing or trying to compare data plan offerings from AT&T and Verizon, primarily because they're the ones with the best coverage where she is, um, I ended up beating my head against desk <laughs> because I could not, it, it, they make it so difficult. And I'm incredibly frustrated, especially with the fact that Verizon has switched its data plans over to this. Everything is a shared data plan now. So if you want to get a phone from them or an iPad for them, you basically have to sign up for a shared data plan. And it ends up being outrageously expensive. <laughs> Even if you just want one thing. Especially if you just want one thing. If you have multiple things, it ends up being cost effective. But and really to the point, only if you have multiple phones. Um, so I ended up like trying to go back and forth. But it's also this apples and oranges comparison because AT&T and Verizon have different plans when it comes to shared data plans. And AT&T also has individual plans. And so I kind of spent a while looking at this and just going, is it just me or do these all really kind of stink? <laughs> So I, I wanted. To, I was curious about your your experience with data plans or your opinions of what's currently out there, and whether or not you think that this is all just a, a, you know the, the phone companies taking advantage of us because they can. Dan, what do you got for me? Yeah, you know my, we've got. Um, I've still got the original iPhone data plan. I I don't know how I've managed this, but I still have the <laughs> unlimited thirty dollars a month plan, and it's phenomenal. I mean, the, they won't let me do FaceTime on it, but the truth is, I never, never do FaceTime when I'm on cellular anyway, but, um, I can do whatever I want and I never have to worry about that. And it's, it's kind of a luxury that I'm, I'm loath to give up, but, uh, we had to go through this with my wife because she, you know, she sometimes used a little over 300 megabytes, but other times she was like at a hundred or 50. And so, you know, you have to do, to go through all these calculations. Do you say, okay, I'm going to pay for the the next level up just in case those times she goes over, because when she does go over, it's enough times that it ends up being, on average more, you know, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, Cause I completely agree with you. I think it's, it's a mess. They, uh, they, and I think they do that on purpose, right? They, they set them low enough so that you might sometimes go over and you want to go to the next one up, but then you'll never use all that. And it's, um, I mean, if Steve jobs used to make that joke about Blu-ray being a bag of hurt, isn't that what it was? I mean, cell yeah. phone plans way, way worse. It's like a dump truck of hurt. Right. <laughs> I, I think, uh, I think it's not just you, Dan. I do think they suck. I think inevitably in the future we're going to have these plans where a family is going to buy a big chunk of data and it'll make more sense. Um, but it, we're not there yet. This is sort of the beginning and uh, hopefully <laughs> – call me an optimist. Eventually it'll make more sense than it does now because it don't, totally makes no sense now and it's infuriating. And so uh, that's my simple answer. It's not just you. They do suck. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still, I still piggyback on my parents' family plan. And uh, my dad and I sat down and looked to see if it would be more cost effective for the four of us to be on a family shared data plan. And it's not. It's not. We're all, we all have iPhones and we all use them a lot and we consume a good amount of data. So for us to get the amount that we would need on a shared plan, um, it would be a lot more than what we're currently paying. And I know me and my sister, and I know the two of us would squabble if we happened to go over about who was using it more, you know, even though we're grown women in our 20s, we still fight about this kind of stuff. So I, I think you're right, Jason, that we're, in theory, it's a great idea, but the carriers haven't quite figured out the best way to package this in a way that's clear for consumers what plan they really need. 
Well, isn't that part of the issues that they're trying not to make it clear to yeah. consumers? Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> Confuse I mean, the cat. It, it's it's extra frustrating for me because this is both. I mean, for my my parents, neither of them have smartphones. They both have pay as you can go cell phones. My dad still doesn't manage to set up the voicemail on his. He's not terribly tech savvy. But I, you know, I came to the conclusion at some point. Well, if you want to get dad an iPhone too, like then maybe that might make a certain amount of financial sense, and it might be cheaper than just getting you an iPhone. But to both to get her a smartphone and an iPad through Verizon was like, it was like over a hundred bucks a month for like two gigs of data. And it was like, this is ridiculous. I'm paying less than that for four gigs of data on AT&T and I get tethering. And I mean, I, I would consider sharing with them too, except I've been known to go through four gigabytes of data in a month. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of a mess. And I'm, I'm eventually told her like, just buy whatever iPad you want to use for the, you know, with the cellular We'll worry about the smartphone down the road. If it happens to line up and we can figure out a way to save you money, great. Otherwise, you know, let's just not worry about it too much. But I really think it's terrible. And happy birthday, Mom. <laughs> happy birthday, Mom. Enjoy. Um, Dan Frakes, something you'd like to talk to us about today? It's all you. So, you know, I've, I've long been the accessories and audio guy for, for our, our publications. And uh, for years, the most common accessories were iPod docks, iPhone docks, speaker docks. Uh, it started to change a couple of years ago, and over the last year especially, it's changed dramatically. I mean, I would say that for every actual iPhone dock we get, we get or press release or whatever, we get probably 20, and that's not even an exaggeration, 20 or 34 Bluetooth speakers. Um, and I was just, just, just looking up some notes today, and, uh, and supposedly that the sales of Bluetooth speakers have increased like 500% in the last year alone, just in 2012. Um, and, and we're seeing that. They're just, it's, Bluetooth speakers are the new iPad dock. I, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, there's more and more devices that support Bluetooth these days, phones and tablets and computers and even cars, right? Um, Bluetooth technology is way better than it used to be. It's connectivity is better. Ease of setups better. Sound quality is better. Um, I think we have larger devices now where you've got like iPads and tablets that don't sit in a dock easily. So Bluetooth is nice there. Um, and I think really the big thing recently has just been the lightning connector. When Apple released all the new devices with a brand new connector, people said, wait, I've got to rebuy everything. And then they looked around, they said, well, like, hmm, I can use Bluetooth for all my stuff, old and new, and it's cheaper, so why not? And so it just, it's like Bluetooth has exploded. And I'm just curious, um, I've switched over pretty much all my audio listening on my iPhones and iPads and, and stuff to either Bluetooth or AirPlay. Um, I don't think I've actually used a speaker dock in like two years. And I'm wondering what you guys are doing now. Bluetooth is exploding. That you frightened me for a second. I was imagining like a spy <laughs> biting into an exploding tooth. Um, Hydro Bluetooth speakers. <laughs> I'm. Well, I still have, as as I think detailed on a previous podcast, uh, uh, a lot of these Logitech squeeze boxes that have now been discontinued. But I'm still using them, and I love them. And they have um, they have the good old aux in with a mini jack, and so I'm doing some of that. Although <laughs> I do have uh, an Airport Express that I have uh, attachable to one of them, and that turns it into an AirPlay speaker. In the long run, I think my question is: Do I want to do AirPlay? Uh, do I want to do uh, Bluetooth, or do I want to just to go back to good old headphone jack and and those that aux in port? Uh, I haven't haven't decided, but um, I sure like the convenience of of just being able to walk in the house and say play on this speaker, and then not you know not hook my phone up somewhere or put it in the dock and be able to just play as I I move around the house and change tracks and all of that. That's pretty cool. So I think I'll get there eventually, but in the meantime, I'm retrofitting my stuff to be. Um, 
to be AirPlay compatible, essentially. You could, there's some Bluetooth adapters, too, although a lot of them are meant to be portable and they mm-hmm. run on battery power. And so that's not ideal because I want something that I can plug in and it can live with my set of speakers that are already there. So I'm using an Airport Express for now. That's my story. Um, I have a combination of, of things. So I still use um, – I have a dock next to uh, my bed. It's my my alarm clock. I still dock my phone at night to charge it and then wake up to music or a podcast. Um, so I'm still using a dock for that. But I have a Bluetooth speaker in my living room. So every time I'm you know, cooking or around the house, I am using that um, as my like home music solution. Um, and then when I'm out – Camp. I camp a lot too, so I use. Uh, I have a portable dock for camping, and like, like Jason said, I, I don't want to be killing my phone's battery when I'm out in the middle of nowhere and can't, you know, readily charge it. So my battery-powered um, portable dock, I can just switch the batteries out, but huh. it will still charge my phone while I'm outside. So again, it's it's a combination, but the convenience of Bluetooth really can't be matched like by anything else. And especially because all of our portable devices, or most of them anyways, will sync with it. So your speakers can outlive all of your handsets, presumably. So then it can be easily shared from one device to the next, which is nice. Yeah, I've got a I got kind of a mishmash of setup as well. I mean, in my office, I've got speakers hooked up to my computer, and I have you know software that sort of lets me AirPlay to those, um, so I can always send audio from my phone to my speakers if that computer's on, um, and that works fine for the office. In my living room, I've got like an actual stereo you know receiver hooked up to my TV and everything for watching TV and playing games and the like, um, and that also has an Apple TV and a Mac Mini hooked up to it, so I can also do something similar there. So I'll often play you know AirPlay stuff to the to the Apple TV and use audio there, and, and that's a great solution. And then I have a small uh, Bluetooth speaker that's a portable, uh, one of those Brookstone ones that's that's nice and compact, and I have that in the kitchen. I often use that to listen to the news or something when I'm cooking or stream music when I'm cooking or cleaning dishes or whatever. And that one's also handy because I can take it with me, which is, I think, the big benefit of it. Since it has a rechargeable battery in it, it's great for traveling um, if you want to watch a you know, movie or something while you're in a hotel room. I looked at recently, um, I think, Dan, you linked to a, uh, an AirPlay speaker that was on sale that you really liked. And I, I seriously considered it and then realized I really don't have a need for it because there's no room in my house that doesn't already have speakers in it in some fashion. Um, as much as it looked cool, um, I, I, the one place that I thought about was um, I have a, like, likely I have a, a dock like an alarm clock from one of the many alarm clocks I reviewed. Problem with it is the dock is a you know 30-pin connector, so I can't use it with my new phone. Um, but it has an aux in, which I occasionally use. Or I'll just bring the Bluetooth mini speaker into the bedroom and like if I'm folding laundry or something like that. My big problem with AirPlay, I think, is that, especially, I mean, for those portable things, isn't there there's still a bit of a lag if you want to watch video? Like, it doesn't quite sync up, right? Yeah. Like, if you try to just do the audio, if, it, if you AirPlay all of it to an Apple TV, you're totally fine because it's on the same latency. But if you do audio and try to watch a video on your laptop, it doesn't like that. So for that, it's a little bit, you know, less attractive as far as AirPlay goes. Plus, there is the proprietary part of it. And if you have other devices that want to take advantage of wireless speakers, that that can be annoying. But I, I'm pretty happy with all of that. Bluetooth is still kind of a pain because Bluetooth in general is a pain, <laughs> Um, so sometimes things forget to get paired or I want to pair another device with it. And it's like, oh, I got to turn this device off and then turn that device on and then repair it. Um, so that I think there's a, that, that's something that could be improved. But yeah, it, there seems like it's pretty easy to get audio no matter like wherever the heck you want it. So I think it's interesting that we were talking about Bluetooth versus docs and yet a bunch of us talked about AirPlay because I think um, 
on on some other podcast without so many Apple heavy people that might not have come up. For me, that's what our whole house is. We've got AirPlay in almost every room, and and I love it. Like Jason has said, with the Logitech devices, um, the squeeze box is the same kind of thing where you just walk in, no matter where you're at, you can play your something on your phone or your tablet, and right. it just shows up. Anywhere. But with AirPlay, you got to have Apple stuff. Bluetooth, every, everything works. Exactly. So at the end of every Clockwise podcast, we like to touch upon something that's not really tech-related. This week, as you might have heard, Jason went to Comic-Con. I did. Given that you were at Comic-Con, we should talk a little bit about superheroes and the talk like. Talk about superheroes. Yeah, so quickly, do people read comics? Uh, did you? Do you now? I would love to now if I had time is really what it comes down to. <clears throat> I did as a kid, but I haven't in years. Um, other than testing some iPad apps. Who was your favorite superhero? I really liked Green Lantern when I was a kid, but I, wow. it, looking back, I think that's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I um, I read uh, comics a lot when I was in elementary school and high school, and then I stopped. And uh, really, it's only with the digital comics that I've gotten back into it. And I mean, my favorite superhero is, is, uh, is Spider-Man. goes without saying. I didn't read comics when I was younger, but I really liked superhero-based cartoons Uh and video games. So I loved the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game for Nintendo. I watched the X-Men cartoon like every weekend, same with the Spider-Man one. Um, But I recently purchased uh, Frank Miller's Batman Year One, and I'm really looking forward to reading that. I read a bunch of comic books in junior high school and high school, starting with like a lot of X-Men stuff. And then I moved into uh, Valiant Comics, which was sort of a smaller superhero comic stuff. And I really loved a lot of their stuff. But I stopped towards the end of high school. And then I, I read a bunch of graphic novels because uh, several of my friends were into that. My best friend wrote his dissertation on it. Uh, and it's only recently I've gotten into comic books. And I don't know if I, I – back in the day, I probably think Gambit was my favorite um, from the X-Men. But I've read the new Hawkeye comics, as I think I mentioned recently. And he, he's going up in my estimation. And we have been carefully watching the clock. We are out of time. We've talked too much. Leah Yamshan, thank you so much for coming into the studio today and being on Clockwise. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. And Dan Frakes, thank you for joining us via Skype or your 1920s telephone, whichever one you used. (laughs) Thank you for having me. So until next time, from all of us here at the Tech Hive Clockwise podcast, remember to watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye. Bye.